Let's get into today's final installment of the series that we've been in, The Art of Being Unordinary. Now, for those of you who are new, might be visiting with us for the first Sunday, what this series has been, it's been a deep dive into the Beatitudes, okay? The Beatitudes is the very beginning of the sermon, the famous one Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the eight ways to receive God's blessings, okay? And what we're finding is that if we are willing to live by the teachings of Jesus, it's a little unordinary, right? It's a little different, to, it's a little different than how the world operates. But if we're willing to be a little unordinary, what we do is we set ourselves up to receive the extraordinary blessings that come from God. And so each week we've been looking at ways to live unordinary and what Jesus preaches or teaches on. And we've talked about things like mercy, having mercy, and being a peacemaker. Last week we dealt with conflict. Uh, we talked about being humble. And today our last teaching point, I got to admit, y'all, this is the most unique one to teach through, okay? Especially on Palm Sunday today. So let's just dive right in, okay? The last beatitude, it says this in Matthew 5, 10. Here's, your, here's the verse we're going to be looking at. It says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And okay, let's just stop right there. Because that's generally how the Beatitudes have been going. Like Jesus gives us this teaching. He's like, do this so that, you know, those kind of things. And then he just kind of ends and he moves on to the next point. But with this one, this one's a little different. This is the final one. And Jesus kind of expounds on this a little bit more. So let's keep reading the next two verses. He says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you. And say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. So be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Okay, there's a lot to talk about. There's so much to cover in what Jesus goes through here. And I feel like, I feel like I've got to start this sermon off pretty serious. Now, normally... You know, normally I start off with a cute or funny story to kind of capture everybody's attention and kind of draw you into what we're talking about. But there's nothing really cute or funny about what we're talking about with this topic. And since we're talking about persecution this morning, it's important for you to understand just how much Christianity is actually under attack in the world around us. And I want you to be aware of this. Because we hear so much about other religions, we don't hear a whole lot. Honestly, we don't hear a whole lot about Christianity. I don't feel like it's something that's reported on a lot. So I went searching this past week, and I, I read magazines that report on it every now and then. But in Open Door Ministries, they report that over 340 million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination just this last year in 2020. They rate North Korea as the number one on the world watch list. And that place has remained there for 20 years. And I just use North Korea as an example of the persecution that happens with Christians. It's reported that being discovered as a Christian is basically a death sentence. If you're not immediately killed for your faith, you're put into a prison camp, which sooner or later probably will lead to that final destination. It's reported that in North Korea, there's anywhere between 50 to 70,000 Christians right now in those prison camps. And the company that put this... Um, it's reported in North Korea, there's anywhere between 50 to 70,000 Christians 
series, Siri is helping me. I don't know. I don't know how to turn her off right now. She, this is okay. Siri, stop. Does that work? Okay, I think no. She's still there. I don't know how to get her off. So. This is interesting. Okay, I think she's gone. Okay, I've never been Google checked while I'm praying. I know you do that. I've never had my computer do that, but she said it was correct. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> that would have been weird. <laughs> she was like, that's not what I found. <laughs> Check out this website for more information. <laughs> oh, that was so great. Um, okay, so back to being serious, y'all. I didn't want to start this out cute or funny, and yet here we are. Um, so back to Open Door Ministries, um, I do want to show you a little video of what they produced, um, for what's going on in the world around us, because I don't know about you, again, I don't hear a whole lot of this reported, and I just wanted to share this with you so that you can be informed. So y'all watch this video. The desert. A never-ending wilderness. Barren and desolate. Even here, if you look closely, there's life to be found. These are yucca brevifolia, better known as a Joshua tree. This single tree could be hundreds, even thousands of years old. And that's because what you see is only part of the story. Underground, there's a massive network of roots going down to water, pulling that water out of the ground and storing it in the tree, keeping the tree alive, resilient, to the desert wasteland. In the world today, one in eight Christians are discriminated against, oppressed, even attacked, just because they follow Jesus. They are desperate voices crying out in a dry land. When I became a Christian, my village turned against me. I no longer belong. In China, the government installed facial recognition cameras in our sanctuary. That camera can gather the private data of our church members. They will intimidate them, they will prevent them from going to church. That means we know from this year's World Watch List that 340 million Christians live in places around the world where they are discriminated against or persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. That number is hard to imagine, hard to get your mind around, but we know that God is faithful. In the book of Isaiah, God tells his people, I will make new ways in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. In midst of persecution, churches are growing more. Through the persecution, God is making the church grow. We are so united together like never before. We have a revival in our church, even in the severe persecution. God has sent a river into the wilderness, and His people are resilient. Like the Joshua tree, they're living boldly in the desert and they depend upon the church, the roots of his family, for water and support. They are so encouraged by Christians around America. Pray for them, really care for them, 
It's like a body of Christ. When you commit to pray for your brothers and sisters who are persecuted around the world for their faith, you're helping God make rivers in the desert and helping his children to stand strong for him. The prayer is the core. When you don't know anything, just pray. When you don't understand anything, pray. You will understand. Okay, so I know that um, some of the subtitles were probably difficult to read. Uh, so you can go back if you want to check that out online later and kind of zoom in and watch that video again. I just wanted to share that with you. Um, why am I talking so much about this? Um, I don't want to scare anybody this morning. That's not the point. I just want you to be aware of what's going on in the world around us. And the question is, what can we do? Like, what are we really supposed to do? And the first thing we can do is be informed, not stick our head in the sand and act like this kind of stuff doesn't exist because it does. And the second thing we could do, what they mentioned, was prayer. Just be in prayer. Uh, the Bible says that when we pray for those who are persecuted, it's a way of like uniting us all together with our Christian brothers and sisters. And the third thing we can do, of course, is to give. There are foundations like Open Door Ministries, but also umc.org, our own denomination, offers ways to give, and those proceeds goes to help those that are refugees in places around the world. We can give, we can pray, we can learn. But the reason that I'm sharing this with you this morning is because I want you to be reminded that being a Christian is not easy. It's not easy, and we know this. Following Christ is not for wimps. Uh, all over the world, and to a much lesser degree here in America, but Christians do. We face rejection, criticism, disapproval, peer pressure, harassment, opposition. And that brings us to this last beatitude that Jesus brings up. Jesus says, if you want God's blessing in your life, then you as a Christian, what's going to happen is that you're going to have to deal with persecution. And to help us with this topic today, I want to talk... Um, We'll talk about some verses that come from 1 Peter. Okay, 1 Peter, of course, was written by Peter, the disciple, the rock of Jesus. Jesus is pretty much his right-hand man. And if anybody knew what it was like to be persecuted, it was this guy, Peter. Peter faced persecution by the Romans. It was believed that he died um, from Emperor Nero. In fact, Tradition states that he was crucified, and yet he didn't feel that he was worthy enough to be crucified in the same manner as Christ, so he had them kill him upside down, which is just a horrific, awful way to be persecuted for your belief in Christ. But before we read in God's Word from the third and fourth chapters of 1 Peter, let's just be honest and say, after watching that video, after hearing uh, what tradition says about 1 Peter's death, we... we, we have to be honest and say, you know what, we're blessed in America, right? We're not persecuted in these terrible ways like our sisters and brothers in Christ are all over the world. But here's what happens to us. Here's what we deal with. We deal with pressure. There is this subtle pressure all around us to conform, right? To be like everybody else. Society just wants us just to shut up, get in line, keep quiet, and not take a stand for what we believe in. And we, we face this every day. I remember a little while back, I was with a friend and I was in this situation where I saw something happening and I was like, oh, this is a weird thing. And without going into too much detail, I thought I was gonna have to say something. And so I just kind of stopped and I kind of paused. 
And then when the situation resolved itself and I didn't have to really say anything, I just let out this, oh, good. My friend looked at me and he was like, "Uh, why'd why'd you do that? And I said, well, I thought I was gonna have to say something. And my friend looked at me and he said, haven't you learned your lesson from saying things? And the reason I tell you that story is not to say that you've got to interject yourself into situations. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just illustrating that we all face those moments, don't we? Where we have the choice to do something, to say something, to take a stand, and yet, instead, what we do is we give in to the pressure that we face from the people around us. Let me give you a few examples of what this looks like. It's your boss asking you to do something unethical, and everybody else in the group, everybody else in the company is doing it, but you don't want to be labeled as the Jesus freak, so you go along with it, even though you know this isn't going to turn out well. Teenagers, it's, it's that time when you're invited to a party and you know that you're going to go, everybody's going to be standing around holding red solo cups, not being able to control what comes next, and yet you don't want to be the one left out, and so you go anyway. As adults, as teenagers, we face those pressures to just go along with what society deems appropriate at the time, even though we know what Christ wants, even though we know what Scripture teaches, we go along with it because we don't want to be labeled, we don't want to be judged, we don't want to be different. And in fact, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we care way more about what other people think about us than what God thinks about how we live our life. So here's what I want to do. So I want to share a few things. When you're pressured because of your faith, let me give you a few things to remember that come from God's Word. If you've got your message notes open, let's go ahead and open those up in the app. For those of you that are online, you can find those message notes and you can fill those blanks out together. Here, here's what you need to be reminded of when you face that pressure. Number one is this. Opposition makes me more like Jesus, okay? Opposition makes me more like Christ, all right? Peter... Let's go back to what Peter tells us, okay? He says, these trials make you partners with Christ. The trials that you face in this world, okay? You are partners in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So here's the deal. We're marching into Holy Week, right? We're preparing for Easter. And this is the week that we remember what Jesus experienced. He faced a lot of opposition. And in the book of John, John 15, Jesus has one of these last moments with his disciples. And he basically looks at them and he says, listen, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. If they give me all this opposition, if I've got to face these trials, they're going to give you the same thing to go through. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. In other words, it's, It's part of being a Christ follower. It's what we have to deal with. If we're going to be Christ-like and we want to live like Jesus, then it means we're going to have to go through things that Jesus went through. Were there times that Jesus was lonely? Yes. Were there times when Jesus was tempted? Yes. Were there times when he was lied about and criticized? Yes. And we know what that's like, too. And he knows what that's like. He went through that. And and here's... Here's what's hard sometimes to understand, but if God didn't spare Jesus from these things, then maybe we shouldn't expect to be spared either, right? Those things that put pressure on us, the truth is, 
what happens is that when we face that pressure, man, what it does is it shapes and molds us. It forms us. In fact, in First Peter, and Peter, he says in another place in his writings, he says that it's really like gold being refined by the fire, like a goldsmith. He puts it in there and he stirs it up and he heats it so much, he gets it so pure that he can see his reflection in the gold. Because once that heat and that pressure is on that gold, what it does is it, it burns all the impurities out. So the, what he has is a perfect reflection of himself when he looks inside. And that's what we want in life, right? We want to be more Christ-like, so that pressure that we face, man, it makes me more like Christ. That's the number one thing you got to remember. Number two, opposition deepens my faith in God. It does. It deepens my faith in God. In the middle of writing about persecution, Peter actually says this. He says, praise God. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. In the middle of writing about persecution, in the middle of writing about trials, Peter's like, praise God that I get to be called a Christian. And that's hard to do sometimes when we're in the middle of it, isn't it? And the reason that he writes this, the reason that he can write this is because he knows Back to point number one, this is going to mold me. And also what this is going to do is it's going to deepen my faith. You know, it's just like working on your muscles. Here, here's, something, here's something that I learned um, when I was in weight training. Yes, I was in weight training. Listen, you don't get to look like this overnight, people, okay? All right, let's get that out of the way. A phrase I learned was shocking the muscles. You got to shock them. Right? You got to stretch them. You got to break them down. Why? So that then, then, man, they grow and they build to become even stronger. And sometimes, if I can be honest, opposition can be a good thing. Because it does. It strengthens my faith. Because if you have no opposition in life, then you really don't have a chance to grow, do you? So i got to remember when I'm facing opposition, one, it makes me more like Jesus. Number two, it deepens my faith. And number three, the other thing that Jesus and Peter says is that it brings rewards. This is how uh, Peter put it. He says, if you're insulted because you bear the name of Jesus Christ, you will be blessed. And that's basically what Jesus says in the Beatitudes, right? His blessing for those that are persecuted. Now, the Bible doesn't say that he'll bless people for being rude or obnoxious or self-righteous. If you have opposition in life just because you're being a jerk, I mean, that's not a, a, a way that God can bless you. But if you have opposition in life because you're trying to live your life for Christ, because you're trying to follow after him, because you're trying to walk that straight and narrow path that so few do, that's the life that God can reward. That's the life that is open for more blessings and more rewards. So I think Peter would want us to remember these three points and say, you know what, when you face trouble, and it's going to happen, that's, that's the truth. You're going to feel pressure in this world. But when it happens, I mean, you've got to remember that it molds you more like Jesus. It deepens your faith in who God is, right? And it gives us the opportunity to receive more blessings from God. So, now that we understand that, let's switch gears a little bit. And let me tell you how to act. How do we act or react as children of God when we face those moments of pressure? And I think Peter gives us some great advice on this as well. 
Let's dive in. The first thing he says, how do we act? When you face opposition, don't be so surprised. Don't be so surprised. Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as something strange were happening to you. Do, do you know what always gets me? Are the people that walk around just shocked in life? Oh my gosh, I can't believe that. I can't believe that happened. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe the world is doing this. I can't believe our government just did this. I can't believe they're letting people get away with that. I can't believe they're showing that on TV. It's like, really? By this point, you can't believe it? <laughs> like, we were warned about this, right? I mean, we shouldn't be so shocked. Why, why can't we believe it? This is a fallen world. Like, we, we shouldn't be so surprised. Any chance this world has, it's going to try to pull us away from our relationship with Christ, right? This is a broken world. And following scripture is not going to be the popular thing to do. The world, society, everything is going to buck against it every time. And Jesus warned us about this. Peter says, don't be surprised when you got to face those fiery trials, when that opposition comes. It's going to happen. And number two, when it happens, don't be afraid. Number two, don't be afraid. Remember, you already know it's going to happen. It's, gonna, it's coming. So when it does happen, don't be afraid then because you're already expecting it. Peter says in chapter 4, verse 19, he says, Trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. When those moments come, man, trust him. That's so comforting to hear. Trust him because he will never fail you. But man, that's hard to do when I'm in the middle of the fire, right? It is. Like, how can I honestly get rid of all the fear I have when I go into work and I got to face my coworkers when I know what they're pushing me to do? How can I get over the fear of walking into high school and not following what everybody else is doing? How can I get over what the world is looking like? It's heading in this direction and I'm so scared of what's going to happen for my kids or my grandkids. How can I get over that fear? Here's, here's what scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us that when we have that fear in our lives, that what we need to do is we need to be reminded of God's love. We need to fill ourselves with God's love. We, get, we need to remember just how much he loves us. This is why we talk about this every Sunday. We want you to know just how much God loves you. Because the more you realize that God loves you, the more you focus on that love, the more you fill yourself up with the love of Christ. What that love, what his love does is it pushes out any fear that we have. When we're filled with the love of Christ, there's no room for fear. Because we're already full of him. And this is not anything new. This is what scripture teaches us. Look at this next verse in 1 John 4, 18. He says, where God's love is, there is no fear. Because God's perfect love, what does it do? It drives that fear out. We got to remember his love. You see, people who know that they're loved by God, they don't fear rejection because they know that they've already been accepted by Christ, right? People who are filled with the love of God, man, they don't fear disapproval from other people because they know that they are being perfected by the love of Jesus Christ. So you know what? Number one, we're not surprised when opposition happens. Number two, we're not gonna fear. We're gonna trust 
And number three, when opposition happens, number three, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Peter says, it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. We should never be embarrassed for standing up for the truth. In fact, you know what would be good? If you've you've got a way to make extra notes, I know you can't make extra notes on those message notes online, but if you have extra note places, write down Hebrews 11 and just go home and read that this afternoon. Hebrews 11. What this is, this chapter, it is a chapter, it's like a... uh, it's like a, a chapter on faith, just people who were famous for the great faith they had. When you read through it, you're going to read of all the names of people who were beaten and, and tortured and imprisoned and pushed down and ridiculed and laughed at and on and on and on and on and it goes. And when I read those stories of people in Scripture and how they took a stand for God, I'm amazed at how people can't take a stand at a dinner party on a Friday night when they know that the conversation isn't going well. I'm amazed in Hebrews when there have been people who have died for their faith and yet we're too embarrassed sometimes to invite somebody to church or to speak about our faith out loud. I'm amazed when I read in Scripture people that were put in prison for their faith are right now thinking about the people all over the world that are imprisoned for their faith, and yet I am reluctant to post something on social media about my faith. Listen, don't, don't, don't be ashamed. Don't let anybody ever laugh you out of following Christ. Sometimes, sometimes it's good to remember that, you know what, you're not going to please everybody Right? No matter what you do, you're not going to make somebody happen, happy. So you know what? You might as well live to please the king of kings instead of trying to please everybody else. Because at the end of the day, you can't. But I know because Scripture teaches me what he wants. And so that's my aim. That's my goal. And I'm not going to be ashamed about that. The fourth thing you got to do is you got to refuse to retaliate when opposition happens. Peter says refuse to retaliate. He says, so if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, whatever you're going through, keep on doing what is right. What is right in that moment. You're most like Jesus when you respond in faith, when you choose not to get angry, when you don't automatically retaliate against somebody. Let me fill you in on something. Anytime you retaliate, what you're doing is you're giving control to the other person. Right? Maybe you got opposition coming from somebody else or from a group of people. Anytime you retaliate, you're giving them control. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Have you ever said those words, you make me so mad? Like, you're making me so mad. What you do is that when you say that, you are putting them in charge. You are just admitting that they have control over. I may not be able to control them, but I can control myself, right? So when I say things like that, I'm just putting them in charge. And I'm basically saying, you are in control of my emotions because you are making me so mad. And you're making me so upset. And the trick is, in those moments when we are angry, when we are upset with the opposition that we're facing, we don't choose to retaliate in a negative way. Because Scripture teaches us that we're called to love one another. Now, with that being said, there are things. Now, I'm not saying that we don't get upset, that we don't get mad. Of course we get upset with some things. I'll be the first to admit that. But what we got to do is we got to choose through the power of the Spirit to respond. To respond in a way that honors Christ. That's not negative. 
that we don't retaliate because when we do retaliate, we're losing control. In fact, Peter says, not only do you not retaliate, and Jesus, Jesus, he's just drawing on what Jesus teaches. Jesus says, not only do you not retaliate, but I've got something else for you to do, and this is the fifth thing. I want you to respond with a blessing. When you're facing opposition against other people, don't don't just not get angry with them and act out against them. No, no, no. Take it a step farther, and I want you to respond with a blessing. Look at what Peter says in chapter 3. He says, now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? Who's going to come against you if you keep doing good to them? But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. What Peter is getting at, man, is that we return evil for good. We're we're out there trying to do good. Peter is like, let's take this just a step farther. Don't just not retaliate. But man, look for a way to bless them. And Jesus... Jesus puts it this way, and I want to share this last verse with you. And now i got to admit, I don't like this teaching. Man, I find myself arguing against this all the time, but Jesus puts it this way. He says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And man, that's a hard pill to swallow. Like somebody that hates me, that has come against me, like I'm supposed to do good in those situations? And Jesus is like, yeah. And not only that, I'm going to give you some examples. Here's an example for you. So then he goes next. Bless those who curse you. Whoa, time out. Somebody that cusses me out. Like that kind of face-to-face confrontation. Like you want me to do good in that situation? Jesus is like, yes. And not only that, I'm not done. Look at this next part. Jesus says, not only that, but pray for those who mistreat you. Now we're going a little bit further. And Jesus says, not only do I want you to do good, but when they are bringing opposition against you, I want you to pray for them. I'm just like, Jesus, this is just too much. And Jesus is talking to me through the scripture. And he's like, stop interrupting me because I'm not done. Look at this last part. He says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. What? Like, seriously, somebody hits me in the face and I'm supposed to churn the other cheek to them also. I already told you last week, I'm already locked and loaded to give out a big Jimmy Mac, remember? So, <laughs> okay, all right, Joel, settle down. Um, this, this is a little too much. If I'm honest, I wish Jesus hadn't said this. But he did. This is what he wants. This is what it means to follow after him. Here's what happens. And I know I'm going long, y'all. But let me me just close up with this. Here's what happens. When you do good, when you respond with blessings, when you respond with prayer, here's what happens in your life. Public attackers become private seekers. Okay, let me say that again. Public attackers will become private seekers. It's the same thing that happened in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was part of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were always attacking Jesus. And yet Jesus responded in such a loving way that Nicodemus came back privately, publicly attacking privately. That night, he came back to Jesus when nobody else was around, and he said, Jesus, tell me more. Tell me more about this whole born-again thing and how that works. There was something about the way Jesus responded that made Nicodemus wanted to, wanting to know more. So as we close this morning, 
Let me ask you a couple of questions. Dealing with persecution. Just take a couple thoughts with you. Here's the first question. If they made it illegal to be a Christian right now, if persecution came out, would they be able to convict you? Is there really enough difference in your life to make a difference? The second thing is, let me ask it this way, the second way. What does your faith cost you? Is it costing you anything? Because here's the deal. As we move into Holy Week, as we prepare ourselves for the resurrection, we are reminded this week that Jesus gave everything for us. Everything he had. He gave his life to save us. And we, we're called to do the same. Does your faith really cost you? So let, let, me just, let me just put it out there and just encourage you to take a risk of faith, whatever that means. Just take one step of faith. Like, I, I want you to be courageous. I want you to be brave. I want you to be willing to live for Christ under any and every circumstance. It may mean like taking your Bible to work and letting people see you reading during your break. It may mean being baptized. You still haven't been baptized, and we need to make that profession of faith. Man, come talk to me. It may be as a teenager, you know, trying to maybe giving up some of those places that aren't the best and, and choosing to come to student ministry or teen advisors or something. I just want us to live with courage because the people who are willing to live out their faith, those are the ones who have an open life that God is able to bless. And that's what we want. We want to bring glory to Christ and we want to be someone that God can pour his blessings into. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we approach Easter, we are reminded of the sacrifice that you gave. And God, we are so thankful for the cross and the persecution that Jesus faced as he went to Golgotha. God, but we do realize that because of that, we have eternal life. And since you were willing to give your life for us, God, I just pray that you would give us strength to give our lives for you. God, help us to take a stand for the gospel, sharing what we believe to the world around us, realizing, God, that no matter what happens in this world, we are ultimately loved by you. We are a child of God. We are blessed by you. And we, we are fortunate enough to have eternal life in you. So God, be with us. Jesus, be Lord over us. And may you be pleased with us as we serve you. We give our lives to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.